You're listening to Talking Smart, the official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ariana Jones from Smart Communications, as well as Michael Blaine, who is producing this episode. Welcome to Talking Smart, news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. This episode, we're talking to Marvin Tavares, business agent from Local 28 in New York, about his journey from working non-union to being organized into Local 28. And we're breaking down some of the myths about organizing in. You go through some other people that they're like, oh, that's the back door, that's the back door. But at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to educating the membership. You know, if you're not organizing workers in, you're going to be working against them and not with them. Tavares went on to help build a rank and file movement and organize rallies across New York City. As soon as I got into the union, you know, I, I felt like I needed to give back some way, somehow. You know, like I was getting so much from the union and I felt like, what can I do to contribute? So I started a, a rank and file movement on Facebook. Started with like five members. Within a year, year and a half, it grew to over 10,000 members on social media. In addition, listen for General President Joseph Sello's last open mic segment before he retires at the end of this month, where he discusses the road ahead for SMART. It's a bright future. It's our time. It's about jobs jobs, jobs. This is a real opportunity for us, but we, we smart, need to meet this moment. This is Paul Pimentel. I'm here with Ariana Jones here from Smart Communications. And we're here today with Marvin Tavares, business agent from Local 28 in New York City. Previously worked non-union, initially in the sheet metal trade, and he organized into Local 28. We're going to talk to him about his journey today. Marvin, I want to welcome you to Talking Smart. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a chance on your platform. I truly appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Marvin. And I'm not going to hold it against you that you're a Yankees fan. You know, nobody here is perfect, so we understand. We're the best of the best. That's why we get the love that we get. All right. All right. I'll, I'll let you. I'll, I'll let you hold on to that thought. <laughs> so, Marvin. Can you tell us a little bit of how the union changed your life? I was actually living across the street from the apprenticeship school. That's how I know about Local 28. I was living on top of a corner store bodega. That's what we call them here. It was a one-bedroom apartment. My living conditions were definitely awful, you know, but that's what I could afford at the time. Right. Me and my wife have been together since we were uh, 15 years old. We're high school sweethearts. And uh, we have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. So we, we were very young parents. And, and at that time, can you imagine trying to pay bills and sustain a family and you don't have a good paying job? It's very tough here in New York City. Yeah. The way the way I came up, I was born in, a, you know, in an urban community. Not too many opportunities are presented to people like us. I grew up going through high school. Nobody knows what unions are about. They don't teach you that in, in our high schools. A lot of the people that I grew up with, they went through the system, you know, living in the streets, doing, the, you know, the wrong thing. Yeah. And um, I was part of that system, and I'm I'm part of that system that they set you up for failure. You know, they don't want you to succeed. And I'm standing here right now, you know, actually in a podcast with you guys telling you the difference of what this union's done for my life. 
emotionally, it was the opportunity that helped me grow as a person and mentally helped me see how impactful a union can have on someone that comes from the urban community. As soon as I got into the union, you know, I, I felt like I needed to give back some way, somehow, you know, like I was getting so much from the union and I felt like, what can I do to contribute? So I started a, a rank and file movement on Facebook, started with like five members. Within a year, year and a half, it grew to over 10,000 members on social media, all building trades members from New York City. There was rallies going on against Gil Bain. There was the how many workers must die movement here with the building trades. I actually conducted a few of my own rallies that I started from the ground up. But what I was doing was, was building a rank and file movement. I felt like that's the way to really go after everything that's going on here in New York City. I felt like it, it had to start from, from the root and work its way up. And now you're at Local 28 at the business rep. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what, what started the Count Me In rallies and what motivated you to go to bat in that way for those workers? So when the Count Me In movement started, I was approached, I was called upon, me and a few other rank and file members. And they said that they wanted to start a rank and file movement down at the Hudson Yards, which is still the biggest job site in North America. You know, we started with 50 members that first day. And eventually every week we, we kept hitting it for, for almost two years. And before you knew it, you know, we had 10 to 15, 20,000 members out in the streets at any given time. It wasn't an easy task. It was hot. It was cold. We were out there twice a week. I lost my job over it. I got laid off simply because... I know what really happened down there. You know, they called they called my employer and they told them, hey, either you tell this kid to stop being out there with the bullhorn or we're going to lay him off. I lost my job over it, but I kept going. I kept going because that's one of the biggest developers in, in America. And what we were doing down there wasn't seen in a very long time. We were really putting a, a good fight against them. But ultimately, when you don't stick together, the end result is not going to be the result that you want. I, I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about solidarity. I think you've experienced, you know, firsthand the power of solidarity. Can you talk about a little bit about those experiences and, and sort of explain how solidarity helps all smart members, you know, across sheet metal and transportation? I'll speak on uh, Hudson Yards once again. If all the trades stick together and all the workers stick together, you can really go after what you want and what you want to achieve. But when you don't stick together, the result you're going to get is not the one that you really want. And speaking on the rail workers right now, I've seen a lot of the building trades members saying, oh, F that, you know, I don't get sick days. If we don't join in this fight and have their backs, all we're doing is, is jumping on the side of the opposition and giving the opposition the power to deny what our brothers and sisters from the rail division actually are fighting for. You know, the same thing when the minimum wage, $15 came here in New York City. It doesn't matter whether whether you will make it $40, $50 an hour. You joined in the fight because workers are supposed to stick together, regardless of what they're fighting for. And if you don't do that, you're fighting alongside the enemy. And that's what they want. They cause division to create the separation amongst workers. And what ends up happening time and time again, they end up winning power and beating us and we end up failing. So solidarity is definitely the oldest weapon in the book, but the hardest weapon to achieve. It's very hard to achieve, but that's our oldest weapon. And throughout the years... And it benefits all of us. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're an electrician, whether you're a rail worker, whether you're a sheet metal worker. If you don't stick together, I don't care what you do. A union operating as an island will never survive. Absolutely. You know, and, and talking about the solidarity, a couple of years ago, we had the IRAPs that the prior administration introduced. And there were TD members out there and they didn't say this isn't our fight. You know, who cares? Yeah. They were setting in those comments alongside their she metal brothers and sisters, right? On behalf of us. 
And that's how a union works. That's how it should work. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. So, Marvin, i got to ask, you know, did members treat you any differently when you first joined the union because you organized in? Well, when I first got in, you know, just for the record, I started as a second term apprentice. That's right before a second year apprentice. So the question was, oh, wow, uh, how long you been in? And I'm like, oh, today's my first day. And they're like, oh, you're a second term apprentice. And they're like, oh, so how you got in? You know, uh, you, you came in through the back door. And I'm like, what's the back door? Well, you know, you didn't. I'm like, explain this to me. So the guy's like, oh, you came in through the back door. You didn't do an application. You just came straight in. You know, you, you bought your card. And I explained to them, I'm like, no, I used to be non-union. I got offered the opportunity. I came in as a second term apprentice and I'm doing the rest of my apprenticeship program. But then, you you know, you, you go through some other people that they're like, oh, that's the back door. That's the back door. But at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to educating the membership. You know, if you're not organizing workers in, you're going to be working against them and not with them. Marvin, what are some of the myths that are out there about non-union workers that you had to face? Well, throughout all the years, because I'm very big on social media, like you are, Paul, and, and I think we could both agree, every now and then a post comes out, oh, these card buyers, they're destroying our way of life. The card buyers are coming in. They're taking away our, our jobs. Yep. The card buyers are coming in. They don't know what they're doing. And, and listen, again, it comes down to educating the membership. And part of that is the membership themselves teaching the organized members right from wrong. If we don't correct them, then who will? But I'd rather have them working beside me than working against me. And that's something that I'll always be very vocal about because it's never the worker's fault. It's always the employer. And that those are the people that we should be really focusing on, not the workers. You're absolutely right about that. Because a lot of times when, you know, if, 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 a guy, if a worker isn't working union and he's working non-union and we don't bring that person in, that worker is going to stay in the industry. And they're working at a lower rate than one of us would be working at. And the next thing you know, they're making less and food's getting taken off of their table. And we're getting on less work because they're working less. And their contractor's underbidding our contractor. So we lose food on our table. They lose food on their, their table. But guess who gets all of it? The non-union contractor. And they win out when we do that. You know, over here in New York City, there's a lot of open shops. So if the unionized workers on the job treat them unfairly, would you want to organize into the union when the right union goes into the job trying to organize them? They're not going to want to talk to you. And that's one thing that I advocate to the membership and even the other trades. When you're on the job and you encounter non-union sheet metal workers, you need to embrace them and educate them and show them what the union has, what they could benefit from. But if you go on there telling them, you know, treating them unfairly, speaking down to them, when I actually go on the job to go and speak to them, they're not going to want to talk to me, you know? They're not going to want to talk to me. How could I be one of those people talking down on those workers when I came from that environment? You know, so that's something that, you know, I always advocate. We need to treat them the same way we would treat our brothers and sisters in the union, because at the end of the day, they could be our future brothers and sisters in the union. And we need to continue building real worker power. And that's how we do it. Absolutely. Going on that next question we have is, you know, you're going from a rank and file sheet metal worker to a business rep. Now, for smart members who are listening to this, what are some of the upward paths that exist for them? It doesn't matter where you are 
as far as your status and how many years you've been in the trades, the opportunities exist as long as you put in the right work and you're doing things for the right reason. There's no ceiling as to how high you could go in the in your specific union. And again, I'm going to use myself as an example. Nine and a half years in and I'm a business rep for Local 28. And I thank my members for giving me a chance to represent them. That's why I always tell the younger members, there's no limits to what you could achieve in the union as long as you, you do the right thing and you, and you put in the hard work and dedication required day in and day out. You could be whatever you want to be in the union. Marvin, I want to thank you for being here. I wish we had like a couple of hours here with you because there's a heck of a lot of knowledge that you've got, a lot of experience that you've got that really a lot of people need to hear about. I'd like to have you on again sometime in the future as well. I wish you guys the best and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Marvin. The Smart SMACNA B4L effort is focused on working to ensure that all members, particularly those from historically underrepresented groups, experience all the opportunities that come from being a union sheet metal worker. To learn more about how to get involved in this effort to strengthen our industry, text B4ALL, B-E, the number 4, A-L-L, to 67336. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome to the open mic segment of the Talking Smart podcast. We're here today with General President Joseph Sellers of Smart, who's here to answer a question from us on what is going to be, for the time being, his last segment on this podcast for a while as he goes and enjoys a well-deserved retirement. General President Sellers, I want to welcome you to the program. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Very kind words. I am looking forward to my retirement, and it's great to be back on this open mic segment. You will be missed. Thank you. General President Sellers, the question we have is looking forward to the future of this organization, and it's a bright future. We have somebody really good who you brought in and who's doing a phenomenal job. And um, with the experience you've generated throughout your term and throughout your career at Local 19 and at the International, what do you see the future of this organization is going to be based on where it's heading right now? So I'll use your words. It's a bright future. It's our time. It's about jobs, jobs, jobs. This is a real opportunity for us, but we, we smart, need to meet this moment. There's approximately $650 billion of work in the construction pipeline. And smart will get a big segment of that across the entire United States. But we need to recruit and we need to retain members with the skill sets needed to be able to perform on the job day one. We need to make sure that our registered apprenticeship program is prepared to do apprenticeship training and ongoing professional development training. These are good union middle-class jobs. President Biden says it over and over and over again. He's not afraid to say the word union, and we need to make sure that we meet the mark. We need to, we need to recruit in every community we need to make sure that we recruit more women. We need to make sure we're recruiting people of color. We need to look like and reflect the communities that we live and we work in. We need to make sure that we continue to work with the administration because all of this we have secured through cooperation with the White House and with the allies in Congress all across this country. So there are great opportunities. You know, we, we talk a lot about the Infrastructure Act, we talk a lot about the Chips and Science Act. We talk a lot about the Inflation Reduction Act. 
Well, that's part of that $650 billion worth of work in that pipeline, all coming through there with good labor standards, with good incentives uh, for union workers. Build the middle class up and out is what we hear over and over again. And these acts and these passages of infrastructure will do that. But we need to do our job. We need to make sure that we get out there in every community and share the opportunities that we have, the education that we have, the apprenticeship programs that we have, and no college debt at the end of that four-year or five-year program. And, and these are real good, life-sustaining jobs in our communities. These mega projects will give us generational growth. Generational growth across North America, U.S. and Canada. So these are the things that we're going to continue to be focused on. I want to turn to the rail a little bit. So finally, we're starting to see some progress in rail safety. We're starting to see progress in sick leave in the rail industry. We also can now add Ohio and Kansas to states that have signed on to two-person crew bills. So that's really exciting for our transportation division. You know, rail safety is now a new priority in Congress. Unfortunately, it took a tragedy and took maybe more than one tragedy. But there's a new focus. There's a new priority in Congress about rail safety. So, you know, our voices are being heard. Our voices are loud and clear with this administration. They have been helpful and they will continue to work uh, for good labor, good union middle class jobs, good labor standards. Quite frankly, it feels good to be on offense, right? It feels good to be on offense. And I feel like I feel like the carrier's on defense. You know, it's been a while, maybe since I've been in office here in D.C. And, you know, here we are, uh, you know, on offense. And it really does feel good. Our members can be more secure, right? Our members can have a stable retirement. Why? Because of the work of this administration. The American Rescue Plan put workers back on the agenda and they were able to provide pension relief for workers across this country. So that was vitally important. It puts dignity back into retirement. It puts dignity back into when a member works for SMART and they work there for a long period of time, now they can have that fair retirement package that they've worked so hard for and deserve upon their retirement. Talk about Canada for a little bit, right? So they're, they're transitioning, Canada's transitioning, uh, and that work will be for our members as well. So they want to be net zero by 2050. What that means to me, to achieve this, they need the expertise of our members. They need their experience. They need their skills to be able to meet that goal. 2050 will be a, a heartbeat away in the construction industry. And to be able to do that, they need to use SMART and our SMART members in Canada as a resource. How do we get that job done? And how do we use their expertise and their experience, their apprenticeship programs, and the infrastructure that we have as a labor organization to be able to take entry-level jobs, provide them training in a classroom environment, and then take them out on the job and have that on-job, on, uh, on OJT, on-the-job training uh, to make them real you know, sheet metal workers and being able to put them in the pipeline to be able to achieve that net zero goal for them. I look at this as this is our moment, but we need to seize our moment. We have two good administrations, one north, one south, and we need to make sure that we do our job, make sure that we're getting out and recruiting in any and every neighborhood that we possibly can. You know, this generational growth we need to do by organizing. We're not going to be able to apprentice our way through all this work. So we need to get out there and organize the unorganized. And we need to be a welcoming union. We need to welcome them in.
people from all backgrounds, from all walks of life, and be that mentor that those journey persons were for me and for our listeners. You know, we, this is a mentoring craft. We're not afraid to share our skill set with the next generation. And that's what we need to continue to do. So I look at that as seizing the moment. We got to seize this moment. We got to seize this moment to make sure that we continue to elect pro-labor candidates. Right. We got to make sure that we continue to play offense. We need to make sure that we seize the moment by standing up for all. Right. Good times and in bad times so that we all have gains across the smart membership, no matter what craft they are, no matter what discipline they specialize in. You know, how do we make sure that we have those wins, have those gains for all of our members? So and that comes from all of us standing together. You know, quite frankly, we have 203,000 members. And when we stand together, there's no stopping us. When we stand together on issues that are important to working families, there's no stopping us. This is our union. This is our members union. And we need their help. We need their help every day to mobilize 203 voices for good policies, for good jobs, for good union middle class jobs. You know, sometimes I, I say that, you know, you can't push on a rope. But we need our members to want to pull on that rope. Let's get the information out. Let's mobilize. Let's come together. That's what unions do. Come together in solidarity and make sure that we're working for each other. You know, we can't push on that rope and we need to pull it out and work together and have a coordinated activity. But with 203,000 members, with their families, for good, smart jobs, we're unstoppable. We're unstoppable. So I look at this as this is our moment. This is our chance. This is generational growth for SMART. Good jobs. So it's a great question. Great segment to uh, end on because it's exciting to me. The amount of work that's in the pipeline is exciting to me. The amount of opportunity for our members is exciting to me. And uh, go back to your question. I, I think this is a, a, a great time and a great chance for SMART. And it's about jobs, jobs, jobs. Thank you. Definitely. Now is our time, right? Yep. For our future and future of all sheet metal workers and railroad workers that are coming after us. And it's both sides of the country, both sides of North America, right? Mm -hmm. You got United States. Canada has very similar bills. Canada has the same infrastructure. They have similar goals. And everything that we use and the way we communicate across the border is very similar. So what we learn in Canada, we can use here. What we learn here, we can use there. And that's the power of our knowledge base, mm -hmm. right? Everybody being on the same page, sharing what you do and what you learn in one area or of one country. And how do we share that with the other country or another area? Absolutely. Thank you for being here, General President Sellers. We really appreciate you taking the time and we re really wish you the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah.